I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tannhauser Gate. All those moments we lost to time like tears in rain. Time for the greatest movie of all time. Today on the show, Blade Runner. The greatest movie podcast is the greatest movie podcast is the greatest movie podcast is the greatest movie. Come on and hear me now. Greatest movie Welcome, everyone, to the greatest movie of all time, the podcast in which I, your co-host, the Big Red Machine, Rick Barrasso. And uh, your co-host, as always, the Big Deck Boski. Hello, Dex. So this is the podcast where we are going to watch every single movie ever made, and we're going to help decide which is the greatest of them all. How are you doing today, Derek? Fantasmo. How about yourself? I'm doing great. And I'm doing great because we are about to take the Voight Comp test with Blade Runner. But let's take care of some business first. Last week, we had Cameron Pond, the internet warlord, on the show to discuss The Sandlot. And that was a ton of fun. I had a lot of fun recording that episode. Check that one out or any of our library on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever app you use. Wherever you get podcasts, you can find us. Subscribe and review if you can. It would be very helpful for the show. And if you have anything else you want us to cover or anything you want to say to us whatsoever, let us know on social media. We are the greatest movie of all time podcast on Facebook at great movie cast on Twitter. We're at Rick and Rec on Instagram. You can always shoot us an email at greatest at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And as our old friend, Bruce Wayne would say, tell your friends about us. This week, though, we are going to be killing our creator with Blade Runner. Blade Runner is a 1982 sci-fi action noir film that's directed by Ridley Scott. It stars Harrison Ford as Rick Deckard, Sean Young as Rachel, Rutger Hauer as Roy Batty. It's got an 8.1 on the Internet Movie Database. 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, and an 84% on Metacritic. It's a loose adaptation of Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick. It made $41.5 million on a $30 million budget, and it became a, a home video hit, a DVD hit later in its, its, its life. Ebert, four out of four, called it a seminal work. Pauline Kael called it visionary, but criticized... Specifically, the narration, which did not exist in the movie that I saw, but did in the one that Derek saw. Interesting. Yes. Yes. Amy Nicholson of uh, IE Weekly at the time and a bunch of podcasts in her, in her own right uh, didn't like it as much that it was murky and fuzzy. Derek, this was your first time seeing this one. So am, I, am I right in remembering that? We are talking this morning was my first ever okay. time seeing this movie. I'm really interested to hear what you say about it because 
I mean, in a, in a way, we're talking about different movies. <laughs> so I, so I'm, I'm interested to hear what uh, your your thoughts on it. But in case you are like Derek up to this morning and haven't seen this movie, now's the time where I'm going to tell you what happens in it. So Derek, have you chosen a song on your Spotify to time out my 30 seconds? I'm about to blow your mind because okay. I'm going to be using a stopwatch today. What? Yep. So I'm hoping that you'll be using a Spotify song. I'll have to think of one, but we'll see. Anyway, we're going to throw 30 <laughs> seconds on a clock. I'm, I'm, I'm shook. I'm a little shook. I'll be honest. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, count me, uh, count me down. All right, here we go. Three, two, one, go. Rick Deckard is tasked with tracking down four escaped replicants, androids who have a four-year lifespan. The replicants, led by Roy Batty, an advanced model, track down and kill Eldon Tyrell, their creator. Earlier, Tyrell has created Rachel, a replicant so advanced she doesn't even know she's a replicant, who becomes a fugitive from and a lover to Deckard. In the final showdown between Deckard and Roy, the replicant runs out of time after giving a speech about the brief time everyone has on Earth. Also, one of Deckard's colleagues implies that he may be a replicant. 26 seconds. All right. Done. All right. So this, so let's, let's talk. Cause I, I mean, I haven't, I, I haven't talked about the first time I saw the movie and I first saw it in college. I, I, I rented the DVD. I saw it in a very, not a great situation. I was literally away at college. I didn't have a DVD player with me. So I just watched it on my laptop at the time, which was, you know, a 2007 laptop. And it was probably a few years old at the time I, I, I had it. So it was just not a – this movie definitely, for, for me, works best on a big, beautiful, clear screen. It's so atmospheric. But let's talk about our favorite thoughts – our favorite scenes in the movie. Uh, as we do each week, we count down our top three scenes. So, Derek, what was your number three scene? So my number three actually is when Deckard is interviewing Rachel. I thought that was a really cool scene. I liked the dialogue. I thought they both did a great job in the scene. I liked the actress they chose as well. She just seemed kind Shana, of mysterious. Yeah. yeah, she was really, really cool. I really like. I, I didn't expect it. It, it, it. At this point in the movie, the pacing's a little odd because you picture like, I figure by, I'm like, okay, the movie's a little bit under two hours. I figure by this scene, there should be nonstop action or something happening or a chase, but we're still... And again, when I use the word dragging, it's not in a negative way because not all movies need to be action-packed all the way through like Temple of Doom. Yeah. Um, and this scene was necessary and I liked it a lot. So this is my number three. I also noticed that Rick Deckard is Rick and Deck, which, which is pretty wild. Interesting. Would you say <laughs> that he is, uh, he is the perfect combination of the two of us? Definitely not, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nothing um, like I'm, either of us, but <laughs> right. It, it was a little different. I was actually kind of surprised at the tone of the movie. This scene was, was really, really cool, but I, I was kind of taken aback by a few things. It just seemed like, I, I'll, I guess I'll get into it that a little bit yeah, later. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's, it's, it's interesting. I think Harrison Ford himself has had kind of a, like a love hate relationship with the movie over the years. Right. I think his, his tendencies are, I mean, we'll talk about it more, but his tendencies are very different, in, in his, especially in his movies at the time. This is yeah. smack dab in the middle of Indiana Jones, smack dab in the middle of Han Solo. And right. this is not – it has action in it, but it just starts slow, 
and builds and builds and builds and builds. And the end really gets, you know, to me is, is, is fantastic. But my number three scene is actually, and this is a little bit different than something I've said. It's the, the establishing shots of this, of Los Angeles. And there's so much story in those where it's, you just see the, you see the, the city sort of on fire, like this industrial city. You see the billboards of like, live clean, live free. Meaning that earth is not clean and, and free. You know, we've, humanity has like exhausted the earth. And you kind of see, you kind of get from the politics of, you get the politics from the world without anyone mentioning that this is a world in which the United States and China have merged into one country. Okay. So that's why there's so much, like all the, the ads are, are like traditional Asian uh, iconography. And there's uh, Deckard is, is getting food from someone who only speaks Chinese. There's so much story and there's such skilled filmmaking in these brief shots that you just see the city and you just get this information visually without having to be told it. And it's such, it's, it's maybe not that one scene, but it's just, you see this cityscape and you go, this is the world that these people live in. Gotcha. So what is your number two? Uh, my number two is actually when Deckard kills Pris. Yep. If that's, if that's how you say her name. Yes. Um, and, and also the creepy room that she's in. There's all like weird, there's just weird shit going on in that room when he walks in and I'm like, this, it, it felt like a, uh, a scene from like a horror movie. I'm like, what is happening here? Yeah. The, the, the little like, the, you know, the little like dwarf people are walking around in like they're army like, suits. Yeah, they're androids that totally And I'm like, built, yeah. yeah, I'm like, what the hell is happening? But I like that way that scene kind of built because it was like, he was peeking around. He like, he like, he was looking at her, realized kind of who she was and she attacked him immediately. He got the best of her. And I, I had my volume, my, my, I have a, a very odd speaker. I bought like one of those strip speakers for my TV. And sometimes the movie, I can put it up to like 15 volume and it's full blast. Some other movies, I don't know why I have to put up to like 80 and I still can't hear it. It's not the movie. I think it's my speaker that sucks. Yep. I'm not sure. But I had the volume up to like 75 because I couldn't hear a lot of the movie. And then when Deckard kills Pris, she's like, oh, it's like really little. It was so loud. I had to jump <laughs> off the couch, grab my remote, hit as soon as possible because I thought it was going to shatter the, the windows. But uh, that's my second favorite scene because I almost didn't see it coming and I was kind of surprised by it. But I will say the action in this movie is very odd. I can't describe it in any other way besides... It's, it's visceral in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's not fun. It's not a fun action movie. Right, right. Good, good point. It's, it's yeah, it's... Uh, like when, when Roy like, is breaking Deckard's fingers. Right. It's just like, ugh! Like, it sucks. It's not cool. Like, it's not Han Solo blowing somebody away. It's right. not Indiana Jones, you know, running through a temple. It's... It's it's dirty, you know. It is dirty, yeah, yeah, and yeah, and even like when he kills Pris, he just kind of like gets a few lucky shots off, like or gets a, like right. gets a few lucky lucky hits in, and he like barely and like Roy, he bar like he doesn't even beat Roy, like, he just kind of like gets lucky. It's yeah, it's it's a world where it's action is not sexy, 
violence is uncomfortable in a, a lot of ways. Yeah, definitely. And I, I got kind of confused with Pris's storyline too, because like she manipulated that guy. What was his name? Abraham. Yeah. So there, there's a, a line earlier where Deckard is getting information on all the replicants, and Pris is revealed to be a pleasure model. So she is like, she's like served in, she's basically a, a designed to be a sex worker for like minors on these planets. Mm. Whereas Roy is like a soldier, was designed to be a soldier. So where Roy constantly is looking to intimidate and uh, like fight, uh, Pris is looking to like seduce. So... And like lay in wait and not be head on, which is why she like sneak attacks and why she get why why she is able to get into that house with the toys and to um, uh, Sebastian uh, Sebastian's house. Right, right. And it's weird too. During the fight between Deckard and Pris, there's a point where I thought that she like twisted his head around. Yeah, and, uh, and then the camera goes down. And you're like, oh, his body moved too. She didn't yeah. spin his head around. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that was a, that was a weird shot. And it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of like, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming maybe this is the case, but like Goldeneye where like Xenia on a top is like squeezing with her thighs. It's just, yeah, it's, it's sort of the same thing. It would not surprise me if that's where they took a little inspiration from. Right. So my number two scene is the scene where Roy confronts Tyrell. And Tyrell is the man who has uh, created the replicants. And it is shorthand for a man talking to God and realizing that he's going to die. There's nothing that can be done. When they say, and this, you know, Rob Zombie kind of famously took a, a song title from this, the Tyrell Corporation's motto there is, uh, is more human than human. Right. And... That's what I kept thinking about this time when I, when I saw this scene where all Roy wants to do, it's, it's such a relatable call to action is you just want more time. And he's gone through the, the journey that he's gone through to get to this conversation. And he just doesn't get what he wants because he can't. I, you know, I watched this movie on Father's Day Mm-hmm. which was, I was watching, I was like, oh, this is like the worst possible movie to watch this because this is a man killing his father who is also a stand-in for God. And right. he just, again, just brutally kills him and like just gouges his eyes out. It's not fun. It's not cool. It's uncomfortable. And then- Yeah, and it's almost like wild how like, I almost enjoyed the fact they didn't show it you just see Rutger Hauer's face while he's crushing this man's head. Yeah. And I was like, this is almost more brutal than actually seeing it happen. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. It's, it's, it's a scene that definitely has, has stuck with me after seeing it. So let's get to number one. What is your number one scene? And before, and before I get there, it's yeah. sort of ambiguous that he kills Sebastian too in that scene. Yeah. I mean, he, he may, he may not. I, I think... He probably did. Well, actually, it's again. I don't know if it's in the in the version you watched because it's been a long time since I've seen the original. You watched the original. There, there, are like 
a ton of versions of this movie and they all have little differences. The one I watched the following scene on Deckard's radio says that they like, they found him. I think they found his body. Yeah. But, they, they do this in this version too. They're like, I think his like boss is like, yeah, we, we found him too. Yeah. So, but yeah. Okay. But yeah, you see it and it's just like, at, at this point, Roy is just gone. He's, he's, he is angry and he's just lashing out. Yeah, definitely. But, but what my, is your, yeah, what's your number my, one? Yeah, my number one is actually um, uh, Roy Batty's final speech. Yeah. Uh, which you perfectly uh, relate to us in the beginning of the episode. I was a little bit taken aback by this because I really thought it was going to be like a straight up like Kill Bill type situation where like the main character is just going to go through these characters kill them and be on his way i thought it was going to be a little bit more straightforward and when he like had to stop save deckard's life basically and then just kind of like sit down and give this speech and then just die it was like wow i didn't see that coming even in the slightest it was a very very interesting moment in the movie and according to me clearly it was it was my favorite moment of the movie but it really humanized his character Roy Roy Batty's character and Rutger Hauer, you know, he really shines. I was just so in this scene and the way, and I had read later that he had actually rewrote that yes. bit. Like he wrote that, and I was like, whoa, I was so impressed by by those words and how he, it was a very moving scene. And I think it was the first time that I thought that Harrison Ford in the movie became like a, more than a one dimensional character because in the whole movie, I'm like, I don't know what like what's happening with with Rick Deckard. He's just a guy who's chasing. I wanted more levels of him, and I think that. I got that out of him too in the scene. And it was just very good. Very, very, very good filmmaking in the scene. Yeah. I, I mean, that's my number one as well. Uh, and I remember watching it the first time and I remember having, it cuts to Deckard. And I remember, you know, his, his reaction shot to the speech. And I remember just literally having the same look on my face, watching it for the first time as Deckard did listening to Roy give this speech. And there, there's a few ways to read it, I think. And you could say that this is Roy realizing in his moment of death that the things that are important, if he kills Deckard here, nothing of him will survive. Right. And he can't let that be. He needs to give, he needs to impart something. And the only thing he can do is describe the things that he's seen. And it is, to me, a lot about the nature of existence. And one day, we're all going to die. Just like uh, Edward James almost says to, you know, to Harrison Ford, it's like, you know, says Deckard, you know, to shame she won't live, but then again, nobody does. Yeah, good line the only thing that we can pass on are memories and imparting, try to impart what we've seen to people who might listen or, or depending on how you read the movie, did Roy realize that Deckard is a replicant? Whoa. Because Edward James almost appears to 
have seen what Deckard dreamed. That's right? true. He leaves the unicorn. He uses a little origami unicorn. Might it be a coincidence? I don't know. We'll have to. Well, further discussion when we do the sequel to this movie. That, that's like that's like some Inception shit right there. Well, I mean, do, what do you think? Do you think Deckard is a replicant, or do you think he's a human? You know, I don't know, and this is going to go into a thing later on that I'm going to mention, and, and I guess I could say it now because what I'm about to say doesn't really fall into any of our categories that we typically talk about. This okay. is just like something extra, yeah. and that is that I think this story, this book, this movie, I think all of it would have been much better as like a series because it's so – I want to learn more about everything, and they really cram it into to two hours. And it's, it's not enough for me to understand this world. And I want to see a lot of extra things that build up these characters and everything. I just feel like what you're asking me is like, I would be able to tell you that if I had seen like three or four seasons of Rick Deckard. And then we yeah. find out, you know what I mean? In, in two hours, I really didn't get the gist of his character. I don't think I need that. I mean, I love this world so much, but what I love about it is how off kilter the distant year and month of November 2019 is that's, I mean, that, yeah, that like it's, if it, to me, if it explains so much, it would almost become too much. I get that. I get that. Like one of the great things about Roy's speech is that like, I've seen things you wouldn't believe because only he is trying to, get this out in literally his last moments that he's trying to explain, you know, I've seen things you can't fathom. And the more you learn about it, the less special in some ways it becomes in the same way of like, and I mean, you can do it right, but you know, one of the reasons I am not as crazy about the star Wars prequels as as you know, the originals or, or or the sequels is that it's just so much of it is just like let me just explain where everything came from and i don't necessarily need to know where everything came from right i get that it, the, the way i look at it is that like if you're watching a horror movie and there's a monster there the less you see of the monster the better yes. um and i told get what you're saying yeah totally i just for me i just think it's sort of like i mean the, the, it's such a cool world that's created yeah so it is almost like oh i wonder what else I, there is to yeah i think answering the question of whether or not deckard is a replicant completely would almost take away from the movie i would be 100 percent for a tv series that takes place in the world you know, I don't need to know as much about these characters necessarily. Like, these right, are right. I get you. Yeah, yeah. Like if, if it was a, a show in this universe, it'd be really, yes. really cool. Yeah, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be interested in that. But I don't necessarily need to know the, the backstory of Deckard. I don't need to see Roy Batty fighting on Titan. You know, it, maybe, you know, it, it's, it, it's interesting because at the same time, it's like the more I learn, does it make it less special? But right. That being said, let's get to our least favorite parts of the movie. What is your least favorite part? Of- so I'm not going to lie. I, I really didn't like the music in this, in this movie. I, the, every time I heard the saxophone, I was like, for God's sake, this is so dated. Like, it's, 
Uh, it's so 80s to me, and it was almost... You know, it's funny. Uh, when I first started watching the movie, I was hearing hints of Welcome to the Machine by Pink Floyd from their album Wish You Were Here in 1975. And I was like, ooh, they're going to go like this kind of cool, like mysterious machine stuff kind of sound. And then they went into this like in between scenes. I had like this like saxophone, very 80s. And I'm like, I don't need it. I don't really care for it. It's just not my thing. Not to say I don't, I don't, I don't have to say I dislike the saxophone, but I usually don't like saxophone unless it's jazz. <laughs> sure. Um, so it just for me, it just missed the tone. The, the movie and the music did not mesh well. And I think the score is actually nominated for an Oscar, which is, which is wild, I think. But for me, it just didn't mesh. It was my least favorite part of the movie. So that's me. See, I think it, it, it does help set a tone. Like it's a little bit off kilter. Like I'm not, you know, throwing it on Spotify, you know, that, that often, but I, I, I like what it, what it does. This, this was hard for me, honestly, least favorite part, because to me, it's such a solid movie. There's, there's not a lot of like super weak points to me. If, if I was watching the version you were, I would say the narration, like Harrison Ford just does not sound like he wants to be there. Yeah, it's very, I was actually gonna, I was gonna note to note that it's very yeah. odd. It's very, and in the narration, it happens in the beginning, a little bit in the beginning, and then like the middle of the movie, the narration's gone. And then at the very end of the movie, he starts talking and narrating. I'm like, what the? Oh, this again? Yeah, like, I was almost thrown by it. <laughs> and and I guess the like the thing because this movie was just a battle to get like what what Ridley Scott wanted or what the actors wanted or what the producers wanted or what the studio wanted. It, and I guess that's like my least favorite part. It was just such an ugly an ugly example of how Hollywood like studio interference can happen. And it took, you know, the, the final cut was released in 2013. It took fucking tw- more than 20 years to get the movie that Ridley Scott wanted to make. Right. So, I mean, that's, that's tough, especially when you're, you have such great performances and you have, this atmosphere. It's just like, let the man make the movie one, but some idiot in a, in a, in a boardroom somewhere was just like, I don't get it. I don't understand what's happening. Right. Right. You know, I want star Wars and I love star Wars. We've talked about star Wars, but we talk about star Wars in every episode. We do just about. Yeah. You know, and that's fine because in my podcast, I about the Beatles in every episode. So I get it. <laughs> that's, that's fair. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I just feel like that it's, it's, it's not, that is just a, a, a part of Hollywood that is just, I mean, it, I understand it's a business in a lot of ways. And these people are like, how can I make the most money? And, you know, the struggle between commerce and art with Ridley Scott being like, how can I make the movie I want to make? And how can I express myself artistically? And there is a struggle between that. But sometimes when the studio yanks too hard, we get a situation like this. So I guess that's my least favorite part of it. Gotcha. So those are our favorite and least favorite parts. Let's recognize individuals or I guess places or things that are worthy of medals, of your bronze, your silver, your gold. Who do you have, Derek, for your bronze medal winner? Well, I will mention real quick, my honorable mention is going to Ridley Scott. And the only reason I didn't make my top three is because I did know that there was eight versions and I didn't know the whole story and that like – 
he couldn't get it done the way he wanted it to. So I couldn't really put him in here. Um, but I will say that my bronze actually went to sh- uh, goes to Sean Young playing Rachel. Mm-hmm. Um, she's when I first saw the when I first saw the cast list and you had mentioned we're doing this movie. I looked it up on IMDb like I usually do. I read the quick synopsis. I look at the cast and then I shut it off. I'm like I am not going to read any more into this. Yeah. Um, and I thought that Daryl Hannah was the main female in this sure. movie and. I was like, oh, okay, she must be like the love interest because that's just where my mind went, right? So they turned this movie and then Sean Young was really the love interest. And I I, I liked that more. I was I'm, I was glad to see this actress. I've never, I don't think I've ever seen her in anything before. You have. Uh, maybe I have, but like, you know, but like she I was is, just- She is. And this is the thing that eventually, like rightly or wrongly killed her career because people would look at her and only see this one thing is she was the villain in the first Ace Ventura movie. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. But the gotcha. other thing that the other thing that kind of hurt her is that she was originally in in Tim Burton's Batman movie that we've covered. Check that episode out uh, if you haven't already. She was going to be Catwoman, but the character got cut, and she like really was pressuring Tim Burton to be Catwoman in Batman Returns, and just like. Right. To the point where Tim Burton was like, eh, eh, get away. Like she showed up in a Catwoman suit on a talk show. It was right. it was real weird. But she's yeah, she's great. She's great in this. Yeah, she really is. And uh I like I said mentioned before, I love that the interview scene and everything she's answering the questions. And I I, I like the way she just, you know, spewed out her dialogue. The one thing I don't like, and this is gonna be really random to all the fans watching right now. I don't know what it is. I, I pay attention to detail. I don't get the 80s and every woman having long red nails. Um, I, for some reason, I don't know what it is. Like the 80s, that was like the style. Like you got to paint your nails yeah. red. I, I don't know what it is about it, but like I don't like red cars that much and I don't like red fingernails. I don't know what it is about. It reminds me of the 80s and it's just like, what, why is, I don't know. It's very, it's very, it's a very, uh, it's a very uh, wreck thing. Uh, it's odd because wreck is an odd guy. But I did notice that about her, and I was like, okay, they went that 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 total '80s direction. But I was confused a lot too. Like when he when Deckard comes back to the house and she's like sleeping, like did he think she was dead? Like I didn't like know where they were going with this. Did something happen to her? But then she's alive, and like I, I was a little bit thrown back mm-hmm. by that. So yeah, he Edward James almost kind of hinted because he he's told like they're hunting her. Because she ran away from Tyrell. Right. And Deckard is drawn to her, clearly. So he is, he is concerned that they're, you know, another Blade Runner is going to kill her. Right. So, you know, they take off and we see in the sequel what becomes of them. Yeah, which is yeah, maybe next year during sequel month, I think, I think. Blade Runner 2049 is a strong uh, contender. But yeah, I, he, he is concerned that either, you know, his, like, his partners or another Blade Runner has killed her and he's just relieved that she's there because she's like hiding out at his house. Right, right. Okay, that makes sense. So my bronze goes to Harrison Ford and we talked about it earlier. You know, he's not as suave as Han Solo. He's not as heroic as Indiana Jones, as Rick Deckard. This is like a, a real different side to him in his, his, maybe his peak 
as as a star and an actor. You know, just the early '80s, late '70s, early '80s for Harrison Ford is just incredible, and he just gives his performance and the original. He like like I said before, he had kind of a love hate relationship for a while. He thought like, you know, this is this movie is just an excuse for Ridley Scott to show off his sets mm-hmm. and and show off show off his you know, show off his, his ideas and like actors are just kind of standing there and, and it's, it's not an actor driven movie, which I don't necessarily agree with. I think over time he has come to terms with it and he, he appreciates it more. And it's, it's interesting that what time does to that where, yeah. And I mean, Harrison Ford's kind of a, like a grumpy guy. Like, I don't know if he loves star Wars even like, I think he's just like, it's not Indiana Jones. It's fucking nothing. Right, right. But I mean, I think his his performance in this is it's different. You know, it shows a lot of of range to him that Deckard's not going to smirk and like blow somebody away. Right, right. <laughs> he's and not a cowboy. He's a detective. He's not a cowboy. Yeah, and we can we can morph this into my silver because it's Harrison Ford. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it is so different. I, I there. are at one point, I'm kind of like, is Rick Deckard even like a good? He- is he is he a hero? Like, is he even good at his job? Like, he barely he barely gets through it. Yeah. Um. You know what I mean? And like, there's a lot of times he gets lucky. A lot of the time, I don't I don't know. I'm following him because he's the main character, but sometimes I'm questioning whether he's like the hero that we we want in this movie or something like that. But like like I said before, I feel like Harrison Ford phones it in just a little bit in this movie. And it's the, it's it could, the narration, it the, especially. It could be the narration. It could be some of the script, like some of the lines. It could just be like the scenes that are shot. Like, I feel like I liked him more in the beginning of the movie than I did throughout the movie. Like I liked the scenes of him outside and eating and like his, the, the narration even in the beginning was better than it was later. But again, Harrison Ford still, even though I think he phones in, he still gets my silver because again, he's Harrison Ford and he's fun to watch no matter what he's in, really. But yeah, I think you're right. I think if it's not Indiana Jones, he's like, all right, you know. I can see that. He's playing Deckard. Is, Deckard is colder. And it's like, it's so, I think, against Ford's instincts and what we expect of Ford as viewers. Like, right. you can, on some level, you want, you know, Han Solo to be in this instead of Rick Deckard. You know, you want Indiana Jones to be like, well, let's just go in there and take care of the, the you know, the replicant problem. And right. It's just Deckard is just not that, and I I get where that can come off as phoning it in, but I don't think that's the case. The narration, yes, because they he literally was like, I just want this. This doesn't need to be here. I just I just don't want it. Like he he did it bad on purpose. Like yeah, he was like, know, I want them to cut this, and the studio wouldn't cut it. And I'm fine with that too, because like I think of things like I think of like Robert Downey Jr. For instance, like he did. Obviously, he's he's known for being Tony Stark, Iron Man, and then he does um, Sherlock Holmes, and he's sort of the same guy in both. He's like this mm-hmm. like suave, fast talking, witty guy, and that's sort of what Harrison Ford does in Star Wars Indiana Jones. So I guess it's kind of a relief that he's not the same guy again in this movie. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because I think it was a bit, okay, Harrison Ford. That this is just what he does. He's the suave hero, and maybe that's a good thing that he's not in this movie. So yeah. So my silver goes to Ridley Scott. And this maybe is just the, the difference in the versions we watched. Like you watched the first version and I watched the eighth. And, you know, <laughs> this is Ridley Scott winning his battle and getting, you know, getting his version of the movie out there. 
you know, it's interesting at the at the Oscars this year, they actually had Harrison Ford presenting an award and he read some of the studio notes. That, That's amazing. You know, and it was like the studio was like it in fact this it was like needs more Vangelis, which is the composer. You know, it needs yeah, which you didn't love. It you know, the it's choppy. It's the beginning is dull, which I I mean, it's not fast paced, but I, I wouldn't call it dull by any means. Right. And this is Ridley Scott is just like, I'm going to win this fight. If it takes me the rest of my days on this earth, I'm going to get my version of this movie released. And he did it. And yeah. if this movie is anything, it is a unique vision. A, a visually, aesthetically, Ridley Scott likes to make some weird shit mm-hmm. in a very good way. And this is some weird shit in a very good way. Right, right. So silver for Ridley Scott. And I think I know where you're going with gold, but I could be wrong. Who do you have? Yeah, Daryl Hannah. She, no, yeah. <laughs> Rutger Hauer. I mean, he's the, he's the movie for me. He's so cap, you know, everything he does is manipulating. Like uh, just the actor himself. Like I, I, I hang on his every word. I like the way his eyes are piercing in the movie uh this at the subtleties uh and then and then the ending it's like his character really comes out when it's like all of a sudden he's got no shirt on he's got no clothes on and he's like running around like a crazy guy and i'm like what is this what is happening in this fight yeah. scene right now it's almost like it's just wacky and uh harrison ford's performance during the end is a little bit odd too yeah it's like what the fuck is this what yeah, am what I is happening? Like yeah. his, his, like Harrison Ford's reactions to things. He's always just like, oh, oh, oh. like, and and I don't know. And then Rutger Hauer is just like he's he's over he's outperforming Harrison Ford in this scene because you know, he's the kind of like the wacky character. But um, yeah, he he totally he takes the movie for me. Every time he's yeah. on screen, I want to know what he's gonna do and what he's gonna say. Yeah. He has that special role, so he's my goal. The, yeah, Rutger Hauer for me as well. And it's it's everything. It's the way he moves. It's mm-hmm. not human. It's not quite what you'd expect how someone would move. He's like a phantom, but he's also a monster. It's, 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 right. so, it's difficult to describe. Like he's so intense and aloof. It's, it's, it's a crazy performance. And he, I feel like Howard, you know, Rucker Howard looked at this and was like, this is ex- I know exactly what this movie is, and I know exactly what this movie needs. Yeah, and- I almost if if I could like pick it, like if I could like say like, you know, if I can compare his character to an animal, I feel like he played it very snake like, and in, in, in all the best ways of it, like all yeah. the all the greatest things a snake does. It, it, he's very calculating, and he's so good at it. He's so intimidating. In a lot, like whenever he, like approaches when he. You know, when he meets back up with Pris and he sort of like meets Sebastian for the first time and like he's just clearly he's like, I know I'm going to kill you. Like you have like, almost, I mean, you say snake, I say almost like spider. Like he's just like, mm-hmm. you, you're in my web now. You're dead. But yep. I'm going to I'm going to play with you first. Right, right. And he goes and he like kisses Pris in front of him and like you know, just the way he like he interacts with Tyrell of just like Tyrell's just like trying to placate him in a lot of ways, but he's just not having it whatsoever. And then his way he just like stalks Deckard down. 
It's right. the, the physicality of the performance, the the words he chooses and how he chooses it. And like you said, that the tears in the rain speech, he edited it down because he saw the essence of it. You know, right. it was it was supposed to be much longer, and it was like here is a description of all the things. Like no, 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 no. I'm gonna string the these words together in such a way that you are going to imagine what I've seen. I'm not going to over-explain it, but I am going li- to, you are going to see it. And he did it. It's yeah. such, yeah, it's, it's a incredible performance. So those are our medals for this movie. Let's get to the hottest category, the hottest segment <laughs> in all of the greatest movie of all time and sports entertainment. I mean, I've seen WWE lately. If, you know, if not for AEW, this would be the hottest segment in sports entertainment. So let's get to recasting. Now, I have five characters. I so have, do I. Uh, I have Deckard. Yep. I have Roy Batty. I have Rachel. I have Tyrell. And I have Pris. So the, I, instead of Tyrell, I did Zara. Okay, who do you have for Zora? I'm sorry, Zora. Zora, Zora, yes. Who do you have for Zora? So you actually haven't seen the show, but she's an actress from The Sopranos. She has name. Her name is Lola Glaudini, and she plays like an undercover agent. Uh, she's really beautiful, and I just pictured her when I was watching this movie. I was thinking about actresses that I could see in this role, and I could kind of see her face. Uh, Lola, L O L A Glaudini, G L A U D I N I. Yeah, I could definitely see it. Somebody, somebody beautiful like her who could like. She's kind of a vixen in a lot of ways, and you're like kind of wondering what's going to happen in the scene, and then she dies, and she has that beautiful face. Like I remember the scene in the movie where like he looks at her face and like moves her head around, and like and she's just so beautiful, but she's dead. Um, yeah. Like and I could cop, just see the cops, That's such a great scene. We didn't mention it, but where it's like Deckard just like shoots her down. It's not yeah. glamorous whatsoever. It's and not the, glamorous. Yeah. You're right. And it's like it's gross, and then it's just like you just hear the 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 side like the voice over the sirens like move along move along, move along. And it's just like, Deckard's just like, uh, Blade Runner, Blade Runner. And the, and the cops, she's like, okay, I guess she's dead. Whatever, you can go. <laughs> yeah, it's very odd. So for Tyrell, I wanted a guy who could, I mean, Tyrell's kind of a creepy character. Like he's just, he's, he's off. And I wanted someone who could do that. So I went with Willem Dafoe. Yeah, that's great. That's great. A, a guy with a weird face. Yeah, he's, he's got an interesting <laughs> face. You could buy that as a guy who's like, I'm going to create life. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's, uh, let's go back and forth on our other ones. Let's, uh, let's go with Pris. Who do you have for your, your Pris? I went with Ava Green for Pris. Interesting. Yeah, I, I thought that she'd be kind of cool in this role. Um, I, I don't think Daryl Hannah's specific. Like, I think she's fine in the role, but I wanted somebody with more striking facial bone structure, I guess. And I see, you know, I saw Ava Green and I think the sequel to 300 and she's yes. really good. Even though, even though the movie's atrocious, she's really good in it. And she's then, excellent. And then also Casino Royale, she's fantastic. So I, I pictured her in this role. Interesting you say that. I'm going to go with uh, my Pris. I am going to go with Juno Temple. Okay. You would know from the... Uh, yeah. yeah. So if, if you don't know who she is, she was in The Dark Knight Rises. She was in what's the uh the show on hbo the the rock uh rock and roll show that uh that martin, martin scorsese made that only lasted a season. V- vinyl. vinyl vinyl yes but I, she's like 
I could I could visualize her like jumping around and doing these like acrobatic like as a tiny girl and, and yeah yeah I'm gonna Close. go with my Rachel next because my Rachel is Ava Green oh that's funny okay yeah you know what I actually had her as my Rachel at first and then when I asked Gee, I said, I need a Rachel. And she doesn't know. She's never seen the movie. She's like, well, what yeah. are you looking for? And I was like, somebody who I gave her my explanation. And I went with somebody else. And I, then I moved Ava Green to Pris, which is hilarious. So we both almost had her for Rachel. Yeah. Um, my Rachel actually went to Natalie Dormer. Okay. Uh, I think she's got like, a, and again, I wanted somebody who's as striking looking as Sean Young is. Because she is, she, especially for this movie, she's got yeah. a face that's like, you're kind of you're sucked into. And Natalie Dormer has that face for me in a, in a lot of ways. She's just like... You know, she, 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 I, but, but the only other way to say it is she's just striking. And uh, so, I, I mean, I, Natalie Dormer is, I think, a little bit more used to now doing a little bit more action parts, but I could totally see her in this role and stuff. And that's uh, who I picked for that one. Excellent choice. Excellent choice. So, do you want to go Roy or do you want to go Deckard next? Let's go Deckard next. Okay. So, Deckard, I wanted a guy who could play a straight man. And just exude cool in a lot of ways, right? Because that's mm-hmm. that I think is what uh, the role needs. Because it's it's not outwardly cool, but he needs to be a guy who you look at him and go, okay, that's the guy. And I don't really know how else to explain it, but I went with Tom Hardy. Okay, cool, cool. I went in a different direction here. I thought of this actor. A little bit more of like the type of part he played, and I think he was in this, the sequel to Sin City. Um, and he's done, I mean, we've talked about him a lot of times in the show, but I went with uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt for this role because I wanted, sure. I wanted an actor to also be kind of like we're, we're drawn to because he's like a kind of an anybody type guy, but he's like also like, oh, I got to do this crap. And I want to see this like dynamic of, jo- of Joseph Gordon-Levitt, like, you know, bring a lot more color to what I didn't think Harrison Ford did that much. And again, it may have not been his fault. But anyways, he was just the, the, the face who I pictured. If I, if, if this actor was younger, I probably would have went with Keanu Reeves, but okay. he was a little bit too old for me for this I point. Could, so. I could see that. I could see that. Uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, with, with Tom Hardy, I think it's, it's more of like a He's cool, but he's also, you could buy him as blue collar. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So let's go with Roy. And uh, with Roy, I wanted a guy who, you know, kind of has similar physicality to, to Rucker Hauer. He's like a, you know, tall, lanky, blonde guy who can look inhuman. And I think he's a great actor. And I think he is, I think he's going to get a role that makes him an A-list star. Like he's just like hovering around it. And that is Alexander Skarsgård. Okay. Very good, very good. I went a different direction. I went with an older actor who I thought has the intensity of Rudger Hauer. Every time he's on screen in a movie I've seen him in, I'm like, he is just so good. And I'm surprised he's not a household name yet. Although I'm assuming at some point he's going to be. But I went with favorite of mine, Mads Mikkelsen. All right. Yeah, I could see it. I mean, the great thing about, you know, casting the, uh, casting the replicants is you can pretty much do anything. Yeah. You know, it, Roy could be 20. He could be 40. He could be 70. Like, yeah. he could, you know, it, because he's just, I mean, Rutger Hauer especially is just like, 
just look at him. I mean, you know, maybe if he's 70, he's not running around with his shirt off in the rain, but right. You know, he's, it's a wide berth when you, when you cast that role, especially. Totally. I was even seeing like a, uh, like a 30, 35 year old Sean Bean, something on that idea of like striking features who's, mm-hmm. who can pl- who could basically a versatile actor. Cause I think, and I also think that Roy, uh, the character of Roy is a little bit more like not difficult to play, but like, I think it's a little bit easier to play than Rick Deckard. I feel like Deckard's just a little bit a little more difficult to figure out. Whereas Roy is like, okay, he's the antagonist. He has this like scope, but Deckard is like, how do you want to play him? How should I play him? Hey, director, what should I do here? Yeah. It's a little bit more, you know what I mean? Cause it's kind of a straightforward character. So anyways, that's just my opinion on that. All right. I couldn't find a Twitter follow of the week that I could confirm that it was actually the person which is a problem with Twitter sometimes. I couldn't find any right. verified accounts. So we're going to skip that for this week. So let's, uh, let's talk about what this movie does best. What do you have for that? So I phoned it in on this one. I didn't really do what's better, but I, I really just said what the movie does. And I think it's one of those movies that really set up the stage for so many other great sci-fi movies in the future. Sure. It's one of those like, we, we've done so many of these already in, in the show. We've done like how Annie Hall has done so much for comedies in the future. Um, I think the same can be said about Blade Runner and what it's done for sci-fi. Has there been sci-fi movies before this? Yeah, there has been. But I think, uh, I think Ridley Scott took on a, a very interesting story and I think he did a really good job with it. And I think looking back on it now, and again, I've, I'm watching the first version of this movie from 1982. It's 2021 and yeah. I'm going, the hell am I watching half the time? Yeah. But I can see Ridley's vision and I could see how other directors would have been like, ooh, that was really cool. I'm going to use that for my movie in 30 years. So, yeah, I think the tone is very interesting. And I could see how this would be the uh, kind of the template of sci-fi going forward. Yeah, I mean, this is I have is like the best, you know, the, the, whatever you're going to call it, cyberpunk, technoir. It, it basically creates this genre, you know, that yeah. you'll, you'll see in – in movies, in anime, in comics, in TV, you'll see this. And it all kind of, not that it necessarily invented the genre, it existed in books and stuff like that before that, but this is the one that really got it in American cinema. There's really nothing like that. You can kind of see it a little bit in some German films from you know pre-World War II. It's, it's really nothing like American filmgoers had seen up to that point in 82. Like, what, what, nothing comes even close. And it just, it really does, it, it really just is so good in that genre. So let's get to the Oscars from this year. And um, it's actually, I think this movie was a little ahead of its time for the Academy because it was only nominated for Best Art Direction and Best Visual Effects, and it did not win either. Okay. Art direction went to Gandhi, and visual effects went to E.T. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the major categories, because I think we can, we can have some conversations here. So best picture, Gandhi wins. Other nominees are uh, E.T., Missing, The Verdict, and Tootsie. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I've not seen Missing. I've never even heard of it. Yeah, it's um, Jack Lemmon, Sissy Spacek. You know, it seems to be 
a uh, a movie about based on the disappearance of an American journalist Charles Horman in the aftermath of the United States backed uh, Chilean coup Chilean coup in 1973. So I can see how in the 80s having a movie about a um, uh, the CIA overthrowing a South American democratically elected uh, government would be kind of a hot button issue. Tootsie, though. Have you seen Tootsie? Not all the way through, but I've seen pieces. This is the Dustin Hoffman movie, this is, right? Yes, this is a Dustin Hoffman movie. Weird choice for a Best Picture nominee. Yeah, from what I've seen, that's kind of odd. Nothing else in 82? Did... Yeah, so I, I think... I don't, I mean, Sidney Pollack, great director. Tootsie, a fine movie. I haven't seen Missing. I feel like Blade Runner's got to be there, though. I think so. I think if anything, it, it's, it's a new concept and new ideas are coming. And I think that it deserves a spot. Yeah. Even, if, not, it doesn't, even if it doesn't win, I don't care, as long as it's being noticed. Yeah. Let's... Um, Let's knock it out. Let's knock out missing. We may revisit it. Maybe, maybe in our uh, in our next uh, Oscar pool we pull this year. Yeah, let's uh, let's knock out missing. So, best director. Interesting, interesting. Real powerhouses this year for best director. The winner actually though was Richard Attenborough, who we've seen as an actor as John Hammond in Jurassic Park mm-hmm. in our very first episode. He wins for Gandhi. Other nominees, Wolfgang Peterson for Das Boot, our boy Steven Spielberg, friend of the show. Come on the show, Steven, uh, for, uh, for E.T. Listen, Steven, if you hear this, if this gets to you. Steven. Steve. Come on, Stevie. Stevie. Come Yo, on, we show. know you're listening. You're not doing shit nowadays. I mean, listen, I know you get a movie coming out in December. You ha- you have to you have to do a little bit of a uh, little bit of uh, publicity for it. We'll do we'll, yeah, we'll we'll do the we'll do the original West Side Story. How about that? We'll help you out. We'll talk about it. Steven Spielberg. Come on the show. We'll talk about the original West Side Story uh, to, to 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 hype your upcoming remake. That's right. Uh, uh, Sidney Pollack is uh, is nominated for Tootsie and Sidney Lumet for the verdict. Huge names this year. Mm-hmm. Huge names. And again, this is this is tough because I respect all of these guys, but you have to look at what Ridley Scott did here. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Even though it's a little bit mishmash because like there's so many versions of it, he didn't get what he wanted out of it. I feel like yes. you know it's it's, it's, so, it's almost like it's almost like you're. I'm surprised sometimes that things end up the way they do. Like the director and the production company like actually get along and make things happen. Um, this is one of those instances, like you mentioned, that like Ridley didn't really get to do what he wanted. So I think, in large, he deserves to be here for how much he did get in the movie of his. Yeah, no, you know, I, I think of it from that perspective, I understand with the original version maybe why it wasn't as beloved because the, you know, we we kind of watch different movies. You know, they they differ in in, in some pretty small but important ways, and. Mm-hmm. You know, with with the movie I watched, you know, I'd really be comfortable. Sidney Pollack has made some great movies. But is Tootsie a great achievement in direction? 
I'm going to say no. So I would say Sidney Pollock out, Ridley Scott in. Okay. Yeah. So best actor. Let's go through the category and it would be looking at Harrison Ford here, uh, potentially. So best actor is won by another, like this is a huge year. Like the names in this, in this category. Ben Kingsley wins as, for Gandhi. Dustin Hoffman nominated uh, for Michael Dorsey slash Dorothy Michaels in, in Tootsie. Jack Lemmon in Missing. Paul Newman in The Verdict. And Peter O'Toole in My Favorite Year. Wow, big, big actress. Wow. Uh, personally, I don't think Harrison Ford belongs yeah, in this Yeah, you're right. I, I, I agree. I, I think it's, a, it's a, such a reserved performance that it, it, doesn't, it doesn't have the range of some of these other ones. I, I, yeah, I agree. I, I really like it. If this were a larger category, I'd make a case, but I, I don't want to knock any of these guys out. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anyone who would really qualify for Best Actress. Right. But best supporting actor. <laughs> yes. Okay. So Riker <laughs> Hauer belongs in here easily. Yes. yes. Probably, probably deserves a win. So let's go through. Uh, it's won by Louis Gossett Jr. for An Officer and a Gentleman. Okay. Which is uh, weird. Charles Durning is nominated for The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. John Lithgow is nominated for The World According to Garp. James, oh, wow. Mace, yeah, James Mason in The Verdict. And Robert Preston in Victor Victoria. You know, that, that, that raises an eyebrow then, thinking that Robin Williams didn't get a nom for Best Actor for Garp. But yeah, that's just it's, like... It's, it's, a movie, it's a movie we should, we should definitely cover. I'd love to do that one, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, who do you knock out of that... I, Robin Williams. We love him. We're a pro Robin podcast. Yeah, for sure. But again, look at some of the names in that best actor category. And in oh, 1982 true. or three, if you're sitting there and being like, I'm going to put fucking Mork from Ork over Paul Newman. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a different calculus there than, uh, than it would be later. Okay. Uh, so I get why he wasn't necessarily nominated. Not that it's right or it's wrong, but you know, you look at it and go like, come on, the guy that was on Happy Days over Jack <laughs> Lemon. I don't know. Uh, at the time. I mean, now, obviously, you look at their, uh, their ter- careers in totality. Different conversation. But anyway, so Rutger yeah, Howard needs to be in this category. Yeah, I don't know who we knock out because I, I, don't, I don't think I know a lot of these, these performances. Little Whorehouse in Texas, I, I've never seen it. I mean, whoever you're comfortable bumping out, I'm comfortable with. Yeah, I'm going to knock out Robert Preston. I mean, this this is a situation where it may be a career award nomination mm-hmm. for him. Because, I mean, yeah, I, I think Preston's out. And I think you can really make a case that uh, that Howard should win here. Yeah, I think so, too. Like I, like I said, I haven't seen all these performances. But just from what I've seen, I think that... Uh, you know, the only other performance I can really say that Rutger Howard is amazing and that I've seen is, is I think it's The Hitcher. Yeah. Um, and I happen got to, nominated for that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I happened to watch those movies for the first time, like within a month of each other, just coincidentally. And I was like, I was like walking around my fucking campus and going to film classes and being like, 
Rutger Hauer is the most underappreciated actor that we have. Right. Why exactly. is he not? A, why is he not a legend on the fucking same level as Pacino and De Niro and Marlon Brando? Right. What he just fuck? didn't. Maybe yeah. he didn't get the roles, you know, because the, the next movie I can that I remember him in is like Batman Begins. <laughs> yeah, and he's you in know. Sin City. For he had that little like mid two thousand resurgence. Yeah, but he was a guy that like right up to his death. Uh, like whenever he popped up in something, I'd, I'd be like, "Fuck yes, Rutger Hauer!" Like he's yeah, all, he's totally. one of my he's one of my guys. Yeah, like I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that. Let's let's put him in. I'm gonna start the the Hall of Rick's guys, which can be girls as well. Yeah, They're I just, like the Hall the Hall of Rick's guys and the, girls. The Hall of Hall of Rick's guys and girls, and I'm gonna make the the call here that Rutger Hauer is one of my guys. I'm going to go ahead and say that sometime down the line, maybe a year and a half from now, two years say, from now. I've got two guys say, so far. One is Rutger Hauer and one is Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> all right. I'm going to say that maybe a year and a half, two years from now, I say we do a full month of rare Rutger Hauer movies. <laughs> We'd be looking into like fucking movies in Swedish at that point. Like it's, <laughs> I'd, I'd, yeah, let's do, let's, oh, we can have a month of Rick's guys and Rex guys. <laughs> Rick's guys. Okay. Let's get, let's, let's do that. Let's pencil that in. At okay. some point, once we each get uh, get some more guys, we'll find a yeah. movie with two of our guys in it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well, this is a developing idea, but this is yeah. we're gonna we're gonna put down. Let me just make a note of it right now. We we come up with our ideas during the this show. Is, That's this is yeah, this, this is on the fly. You may hear some papers rumbling. I'm an analog kind of guy sometimes. Rick, Rick, Rick is just so old school with his papers. I am. I'm literally writing things in my brain right now. Rick's guys. Rick's guys and Rex guys. You got to keep track of your Rex guys. Oh, I'll, I'll get it done. I'll, I will get it done. All right. Rick's guys, Rutger Hauer, Timothy Chalamet. All right. I've never seen a movie with Timothy Chalamet in it. <laughs> I mean, we, I don't know if I want to say let's do Call Me By Your Name on the show. Well, I know he's going to play Bob Dylan soon, so I will probably yep. see that. Just he's going to be in, he's going to be in Dune this year. He was in the Little Women version that, that came out a couple of years ago. Yeah, he's great. He's great. We'll we'll do a Chalamet movie. Once okay. I yeah, well, Lady Bird. Um, oh, he's going to be in a Wes Anderson movie this year. Oh, that's going to. Oh, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. We're we're a pro Chalamet podcast. We're a pro Howard podcast. I, I do have I do have a Rex guy already, uh, and and we will delve deeper into this. But we've seen at least one. I'm gonna you know what I'm gonna give you I can name a Rex guy. I'm, I'm and I love this guy, but I'm gonna give him to you. Robin Williams is a Rex guy. Yes, he is absolutely. Right. And the other one I'm thinking of is Tim Curry. Yes, you get, you get Robin Williams, you get <laughs> Tim Curry. And I'm not even choosing Pacino De Niro. That's bizarre. Yeah, because me. they're like the world's guy. I almost like don't want to give you Robin Williams because he's like the world's guy. Yeah, okay. You're throwing me a bone with Williams. Yeah, let's, you know what? I'm taking it away. You can't have Robin Williams. He's, the, he's, he's everybody's guy. The, Damn it. The, the Rex guys and Rick's guys got to be a little off the beaten path. Just a all little, right, not I'm, too all much. All right, fine. All right, fine. Tim Curry, Sean Bean. Tim Curry and Sean Bean, definitely Rex guys. Okay. All right. So, I mean, those are, uh, I mean, and we can talk about uh, Best Supporting Actress as well for Sean Young, potentially. Uh, Jessica Lange wins in Tootsie. Glenn Close is nominated for World of Courtney Garp. Terry Garr in Tootsie as well. Tootsie, double dipping. Jesus. 
Kim Stanley and uh, in Francis, which I don't know, uh, and Leslie Ann Warren in Victor Victoria. I actually know who that is. Yeah, she was in. Uh, she was. Um, in Clue. In Clue. Yeah, she's uh, she's in Scarlet. Yeah. I will say Glenn Close will never match her performance in Hook. Yes. When she's. I'm. I'm, I'm shocked that in all the Rex picks that we've had, you've not picked Hook. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and knock out Terry Gar because and 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 put in uh Sean Young because two nominations for the same movie. It's a little greedy. It's a little greedy, Tootsie. You know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, if I'm going to get my sister on this show, I'm pretty sure she's going to go with the Hook episode. She's going to go Hook. Okay. So, we'll we'll find out about that. Okay. All right, so now we come to the most important part of the show. Mm. And that is when we are going to throw 30 seconds. Do I want to throw 30 seconds on Spotify? <laughs> Do I want to? Wow. Can, can, can I think of a song? Something with saxophone, maybe. No. Uh, <laughs> okay, you know what song you got to pick? What's that? You're what's that one? What's a song by Wham? It's like I'm never gonna dance again. Is that like saxophone? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick "Turn the Page" by Bob Seger. Okay, all right. Specifically, it probably it probably, it probably came out around '82. Yeah, you know, just because I feel like that. Yeah, you know, maybe the uh, just the uh, the that saxophone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, little, little sax there. All right, little sax, little sax, little sax there. Little saxophone. Let's do it. Ready? Three, two, one, go. Okay, Blade Runner, nineteen eighty-two, Ridley Scott. This is a really cool sci-fi movie that started off a slew of great sci-fi movies. Visually inspiring for its time. The plot may take a backseat to the effects, but that's okay. It's a complex movie that doesn't even get into how complex it is. Is it Rutger Hauer's finest performance? It just may be. Get some good snacks, watch it late at night, have some fun. That is time. All right. Beautiful. I, I love this movie. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I did. I, I, I said to you off mic, I think. I was like, I had a moment where, because there's definitely a world in which somebody watches this movie and goes, I don't get it. Yeah, I'm not saying that it's uh, it's a top movie for me. And again, I've seen it once, and I really and I will say this to the people watching, our fans. If you're big fans of this movie, regardless if you're not, I do promise to the fans that I'm going to watch the final cut as well because I really want to see what that's like. Um, so that is one thing that I will mention down the line. I will bring it up and say I have watched this final cut, and here is my 10 second opinion on it. You will hear that down the line. All right, excellent. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So, I mean, I, I think I have a, a, a snack. It's not a snack, really, for this movie. But yeah, it's, this movie is a, a whiskey movie. Really? Pref- preferably scotch. Okay. This is, okay. This, is a, this is a scotch movie. This is scotch and a, uh, a, a smoke of your choice, be it a, a, a cigarette, a cigar, a joint. That's well, how to, okay, so so it's it's more like uh, narcotics and alcohol, not necessarily food for this one. Yeah, this is not a food movie, but this is a, this is a drink movie. This is okay, a, I, I'll give you that. But I will say, if you're gonna eat food, 
I suggest doing a very late, late breakfast for dinner. Why the hell not? Just, just cook up some eggs, get some sausage patties or links, depending on what you're into. I'm into both. I could do a patty or a link. Get some crispy bacon, some toast. Just go a full nine yards. Just a greasy fucking mess. You know, how about just like a Chinese like dumpling for the, for the, the Chinese theme? Yeah, go, go for the dumpling. I'm, I'm like totally done. Greasy dumpling. dumpling from your local Chinese place. Make sure when you get it, too, don't squeeze the grease out of the paper towel. Just no, eat it. The no, way no, no. You eat it. Eat it the yeah. way it comes. Yeah. Agreed. So here, if here, gonna, here's, yeah. here's a secret to, eat, to eating a greasy dumpling. First, you take a little bite off the corner so there's no pressure, there's no explosion of grease. Mm, correct, correct. But you got to maintain the grease. You got to get that. You got to get that goodness all in there. Yeah. There's there's some movies where you just need some grease, and I think that uh, it's not grease the movie. It's it's no. Blade Runner. I see. I don't even think this is a grease movie. I think this is a Scotch and cigar movie for me. Uh, right, right. But but if you're gonna eat something, I, I I hear you. Go go the Asian theme. Go the Chinese theme. Yeah. Or if you're feeling a little desserty, I recommend some double stuff Oreos for this as well. I mean, that could milk. be that could be for anything. Correct. Correct. <laughs> So you yes. never answered. You never answered, Derek. What What was the question? Is Deckard a replicant? Oh, I almost said a cool line. We were like questions. I was like, I don't have the answers. <laughs> Isn't that from this movie? Well, you best think of an answer because you're on the spot right now. I'm going to say that I need to see the final cut okay. in order to answer your, answer your question because I, I really don't know. Yeah, I think you should see the sequel as well. That's like but, asking – did DiCaprio's thing in Inception, did it, did it start to falter or did it keep going? His little token. It kind of is the same answer because my answer for both of those is it doesn't matter. Mm. It's whatever you believe. It's whatever Deckard believes. That's, and it's that, whatever, that, I, whatever Leo I think, believes. I think The Rock would say that as well, that it doesn't matter what we think or what this movie's trying to tell. I think, we, I think we both need to know our roles, basically, is what I'm saying. I think that's true. So anyway, coming up next week, I am very excited for the next, uh, next few weeks here as we get into the month of July. And July. July. And we have some great picks coming up. We have, let's go over the month of July. There, we have five episodes in July. This is a five episodes. This is going to be a big month for us. Thursday month. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Five, you guys get five episodes of us in July. Beautiful. So July 1st, so next, next Thursday. A very special guest, uh, my good friend, Renita Hassoun. And we're going to do, in my opinion my opinion there have been some disagreements but they're wrong the ultimate fourth of july movie and that is jaws yes yes get ready smell that blood in the water Mm -hmm. following thursday we're gonna have another of my good friends katie swen back on and she is bringing us Ghostbusters. Who are you going to call, Derek? Depends on what's going on with me personally. If I'm sick, I'm going to call my doctor. But if I'm in trouble... Hey, listen. I ain't afraid of no ghosts. I ain't afraid of no greatest movie of all time podcast either. Then, 
the following week, we're starting a, uh, a, a back-to-back of uh, movies with serial killers. Mm. And we are going to welcome back to the show, returning guest, my wife, Jen Barrasso, and we're talking seven. Yes! Yes! Welcoming back acquaintance of the show, Kevin Spacey. Yes. And the following week, maybe one of the ultimate serial killer movies, one of the most famous, certainly one of the most successful. I don't know what we're going to do with the Oscar uh, category that week because it won literally all the major Oscars, and that is Silence of the Lambs. Mm, July is so tasty. That's I can right. eat July up. I can eat. I can eat July up with some fava beans and a nice bottle of Chianti. Personally, absolutely. And then, if you haven't had enough, we're gonna close out July. We're going back to our old faithful, probably the show's favorite director. That's Steven Spielberg. And that is Catch Me If You Can. Oh, boy. The latest Spielberg up to this point that we will have done. Wow, wow, zowie. And we are going to have a very special guest from across the pond. You may have heard him on the greatest album of all time podcast, and that is Jack Manning. Brother Jack. Can't wait for that one. Our voices are going to sound so much less sexy in that episode compared to his. That's very true. We need to ramp it up. Imagine his voice on the guy that we saw on the beach today, or uh, this weekend. I do, I can't even fathom that. Uh, I w- I was almost killed this weekend. He some guy almost punched me through my chest for asking about a baby bird. We're just gonna leave it at that. Uh, fill, in, <laughs> fill in the blanks there. <laughs> so. Jaws, Ghostbusters, Seven, Silence of the Lambs, Catch Me If You Can. What a lineup! Yeah, this might be the best month we've had so far. That's just, just huge. Maybe. That is huge. And yes. I can't wait to uh, show you guys what we have for, for August and September coming up as well as we count down to our 50th movie and then our 50 movie countdown where we're going to have Chris Monopani back on the show. So, yes. Derek, what do you have coming up on the greatest album of all time podcast? Big, big news. If you do follow us, I have decided to start playing music on my podcast. You will hear the song, a little bit of it, right before we start talking about it, which will enhance the, the listenership. That's a new word I just created. And we are doing the uh, very popular Hard Day's Night by the Beatles, which, you know, Rick and I did do this movie early on. So if you watch that episode, now you get to hear the music. Very cool. Uh, So going forward, we will be doing the songs as well. I'm very excited. And this show is going to start being bi-weekly. So you're going to catch two episodes a month. You'll catch four to five episodes a month uh, of of this show. So stay tuned. It's going to be a lot of fun. Cannot wait for that. So for the greatest movie of all time podcast. I have been your co-host, Rick Barrasso. Rick Deckard Barrasso. That's true, and I have been your co-host, Derek Rick Deckard. Smith, Rick. DeRoy Batty Smith. Yes, DeRoy Batty. DeRoy Batty Smith. And, you know, it's a shame this podcast, this episode isn't going to live, but then again... 
what episode does. 